This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. To learn more, visit patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss Henry Selleck's stop motion animated film, Coraline. glad that in this podcast we were able to touch on the studio Leica because it's been kind of a dream of mine for a while to work for this studio like this is this is um, one where I go to their website and I keep an eye out for job postings and things like <laughs> that so because I really just am a huge fan of the craft and what they do over there that's cool and they're based they're based like out of Portland or near Portland right they're in Oregon at least yeah I think so that's I th- I just found that out recently actually when when Kubo and the two strings came out I found out they're based out of Portland which is awesome yeah, well, yeah, and and I know they recently did, or not that recently, but I think earlier this year or last year, they did this big thing in the museum here where they brought the sets out from Coraline and other films they've made, and people were able to, like, walk them around and, like, look at them up close and all this stuff, and, and I've had several people reach out to me and tell me how awesome it was and ask me if I went to it, and no, I didn't go to it. Unfortunately, I didn't know about it. Somehow I missed it, even though I was living here in Portland at the time big regret because it sounds like it was really cool so if they do it again that's definitely gonna be something i want to check out because it would be it would be awesome like people were saying you like they were able to see the garden from Coraline that the right. father makes right that the other father makes that whole thing is gonna be it's like on display i don't know it must be really cool that's amazing yeah in this in this coverage of Coraline, we're kind of going to talk about the filmmaker the process of making this film and then we're also going to jump into the story break it down and compare it to the book that we already covered yeah so do you want to start with general thoughts and just tell me like what, what your experience was with this with this material and like sure. how you felt about it this time? Yeah. So I had seen this movie before, I think only once. I think I saw it in the theater when it came out. Um, and then, so I didn't really remember it that well. Some of it came back as I was watching and I was like, oh yeah, I do kind of remember this. I, my, my general reaction to it is that in some ways it was creepier than the novel but in other ways, definitely not. <laughs> and I think what it comes down to is there's a certain kind of uncanny valley effect that can happen with this kind of uh, art style and, and, and these little sculptures mm-hmm. where, um, I don't know if you know about the uncanny valley, but it's this idea that like when you see something that looks very similar to a human but isn't a human, like AI, like uh, robots have this, are like, you know, like uh, motion faces and stuff. They talk it about it a like, lot in like CG. If like something they're trying to get like, like, they're trying to get perfect human look and it's yeah. just not there. It's not quite there. It's in the uncanny valley between yeah. being and real. And it can and... cause like severe sense of like revulsion from some people. Now, mm-hmm. I don't have that. I don't, I don't really get that effect ever that I've noticed. But what I do get is like unsettled. And um, I think there are times where I'm unsettled because of that effect. And then there are and then there are other times where for whatever reason it doesn't hit me that way and it, it just looks beautiful and stunning and I and I'm like, I'm just like in love with the way it looks. Um, but I know that there are some people who don't who can't watch this movie 
or don't like to watch this movie for I think for that effect. I think it like the it looks too weird for them and they can't mm-hmm. like get on board with it. So like I can understand that that thing, but like I said, I, I feel like I'm on the I'm like borderline that, but I end up being able to just appreciate it and think it's instead it's stunning instead of have that kind of weird effect. But it does make it creepy in a certain way for me too, though. Like because of, because of that effect, I think I don't know that sort of s- like skip lag type thing that you can see sometimes in like maybe a little jump or something like that. Um, for me with stop motion, if I it, normally it's it's kind of tough to to detect if it's there at least for me. Like I I unless I'm really thinking about it, it's kind of sometimes it's it's hard to detect it there. But for but when I do notice it in any way, what I kind of come back around to is just the idea that like someone like a human was articulating these things and like that's part of the art there is like is like the almost like imperfection oh, this movie's like nearly perfect as far as that's concerned like there's not anything blatant but it's like any of those little hiccups or anything like that like that's i i think it just adds a lot to it and i think it adds a lot to this story i think it was very smart and in- interesting to to make Coraline a stop motion animated film because like you said it does kind of give you this sense of um it doesn't feel like a cartoon it doesn't feel like you're watching a cartoon but it also doesn't it's not real it's not like yeah. a, a like a live action but there's a performance to it it's very in interesting. a meta way it's interesting too because in the story that we read by neil gaiman Coraline travels through a door and enters a world that's been constructed for her by her mother and a similar thing happens in the, in the movie obviously but when i'm when i say meta i mean that it's like one layer further out to the real world of us, right? And then we kind of pass through the door of film into this constructed world that then has a world within a world. I don't know. It's kind of like Inception. <laughs> yeah. Cor- Coraline Inception. I don't know. <laughs> I, I absolutely love love stop motion animation and, and seek it out whenever I can. And I just try to support it whenever a movie comes out that has it in it. But um, I have a question for you. How much of this movie do you think was stop motion animated how much of it do you think was real how much of it do you think was was augmented by cg i don't know i mean i i guess i thought it was 100 percent stop motion that was my because I, I think every scene that now that's something i didn't know before um now is it is that true is it 100%? no that's what i was gonna say is that i i when watching there's there's very small things and there's like certain certain things that they have to pull out but yeah, as far like as comp- like like composites and stuff, sometimes. right? Things yeah. things like there's like certain like rigging that they have to pull out that hold certain things in certain positions. Sure. But other than that, other than taking that kind of stuff out, there like there's like the grass that's moving, the flowers that are blooming, like all of that stuff. That's all physically real. Someone made yeah. that hair motion and stuff. Like yeah. there, there was a whole thing about uh, Coraline's hair I saw yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool, and 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 I was really appreciating it on that on that level because I had it in this, you know, like I don't think I saw it. I saw it in the theater, so I couldn't pick out the details as well as I could on like a big screen HD, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think I was able to dial in more on how the things in the, on the screen were real. You know what I mean? Instead of computer generated, right? Like they were an actual physical object, and sometimes you could see the grain of them in a way that was like, oh, that's actually you know, a real piece of wood or whatever, you know what I mean? And in a way that I think I didn't pick up on the first time because I didn't know. I, I remember when I saw this movie, I thought it was just computer computer generation. I didn't know, you know what I mean, anything about it. That's what's so amazing about it to me is that, that I think when I first saw it, I felt the same way. I didn't know. But was... it's kind of weird too because it's like they do all this work for it. And I guess they do normally make kind of a big point in like, publicizing that that's how it's made but i think they've started to do it more like i yeah. think when Coraline came out i don't think there was a lot of push for that i think it was just it came out 
to not a lot of fanfare. It came out and didn't make very, I think it made like $16 million opening weekend, but then went on to make plenty of money to make its money back and and do well, which is interesting because it just means that it had legs and word of mouth. People were, people were telling each other to go see it. So another thing with the difference in the story, I found that this, um, this version at times was almost a little more whimsical and a little goofier. Um, and, and, and I think it was maybe made to just be a little bit more fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I think this, the novella was a little darker in general. Um, there's less, I don't know, like, I mean, like Mr. Bobo and stuff like there's, there were some like kind of fun elements in the book, but they took them to kind of an extreme when we start out with like, I don't know, the first time we see the house, like Mr. Bobo is up on the peak of the roof, like doing calisthenics. There's definitely a sense of like whimsy that the that the movie really brings in. Um, and I don't know, I could see some people who maybe are book fans not liking that, maybe maybe feeling like the tone was different. How, how did that strike you? I do think that it was, there's a little bit of, of making it uh, more accessible. But at the same time, I, I don't think that they pulled any sort of like punch. I think it was still pretty dark for, for what it was for for a kid's movie or for what they were trying to do. Like, what, is there an example of something that you, you can think well, of? Well, that... not really more. You, that's not that's like a content or something. That's not what I'm talking about as much mm-hmm. as like. Yeah, I don't know, like tone, like um, I think the book, because we're supposed to see Coraline's real life as existing in the real world. Neil Gaiman approached writing it in a certain way, whereas in the movie, it kind of knows that it's all this kind of stop motion, fantasy. almost almost like fantasy, even from mm-hmm. the beginning. So when right. she goes to the house at the beginning, like things are kind of a little bit beyond the pale, right? Like unrealistic. You got the 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 Mr. Bobo who is has his proportions are just ridiculous, right? Like he's a giant barrel with like tiny spindly arms. Mm-hmm. And he's got this giant mustache. It's over the top. Whereas in the book it was like this is real world England. And then you go through a door and you know maybe there's some hints of some weird stuff going on, but it wasn't until she goes through the door to where she hits that fantasy world. So I guess in that sense I'm saying that that the tone, especially of the the scenes where she's in the quote unquote real world, like if she if it was like live action and then she passed through the door and became the puppet, like that would have been like a whole different movie, you know, a whole different kind of movie. So, but like maybe more, maybe more in line with how the book is. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't really think of that, but I think you're right there. I think that there is he was. It felt like he was writing for the real world, and this is like a fantasy. And I don't necessarily know if I like one more than the other. Yeah. Um, yeah, I but, don't know either. I, it's just different, I guess. Yeah. And so I'm, I, I can see people who maybe who maybe would be bothered by it. If you're like a really big book fan, and I can see you maybe being annoyed by it. There are some other things with some small changes or big changes uh, potentially that were made throughout the story. But I think we should get into those more later when we when we get into the plot. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about the filmmaker. Okay. Henry Selick. He was born in New Jersey, and he became interested in animation at a young age. He eventually studied at Cal Arts to become an animator. After school, he began he began work as an in-betweener for Disney, which is basically like an in, uh, animator protege, like somebody in training kind of mm-hmm. on their way up. And then uh, he eventually became a full-fledged animator under Glenn Keane on The Fox and the Hound. And then he left Disney and started doing some freelance work before eventually making his directorial debut with The Nightmare Before Christmas which was the full, the first full-length stop-motion animated feature from an American studio. 
So, I mean, did you, that was a huge movie for me growing up and like influenced a lot of like, I don't know, it was, it was huge. It was a massive movie for me. So he, and I didn't realize that he directed it until much later. Yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas. I, that was a movie that I, I think I ended up seeing years after it initially came out. So I kind of missed it a little bit. And then, and then, yeah, like when I finally came around to it, I enjoyed it. Um, it does have a particular style that now I associate with, you know, like uh, studios and stuff, but at the time was so unique. Uh, well, yeah, definitely, I did... definitely cool stuff. Like, and I don't know, Tim Burton is, is such a like uh, eccentric director, I guess I'll call him. Wait, wait, Tim Burton did that one? Tim Burton produced that one. Okay, okay, okay. Because I was going to say, we're talking about Henry Selleck or whatever. Henry name. Selleck directed Selleck? the movie, though. That's oh. what the, because people associate it so closely with Tim Burton, but he yeah. Henry Selleck actually directed. And I Tim, always it's... associated with Tim Burton. I thought it was a, just a straight up Tim Burton film. So that's right. interesting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's literally called like Tim Burton's Nightmare for Christmas sometimes or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it is. So, which is pretty crazy to think about because um I mean, as we can see here, he uh Henry Selleck goes on to become like this legendary stop motion animation director because he then goes on to direct James and the Giant Peach, another huge movie for me. Yeah. And not just because it has my name in it. He directed Monkey Bone and then have you seen Life Aquatic uh with Steve Zissou, the I have, I, Wes I have Anderson? not seen it. So there's there's sequences of stop motion animation in that film, and he he was like a consultant and helped Wes Anderson with that stuff. Wes Anderson is a g- huge blind spot for me. Like I I haven't seen hardly any of his work, and I feel like I'm gonna really like it, and I just need to watch it. But I just like I don't know where to begin, and there's so many of them that are supposed to be amazing, and I just need to watch them. We could t- we'll talk about it later. We'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. uh, there's plenty. There's I don't know what you're looking for. It was your first one, but he's got a very like eccentric style and sure. very like. The symmetry. He's he's awesome. Also, after Life Aquatic, he worked also worked on a movie called Moon Girl, and then eventually directed Coraline, which cool. brings us back around. And now, so how does that come with Leica? Like, does he does he is that like his production company? Or I don't does he believe just so. Work with them. So do other directors work with them? I think that um, I think that he was a primary like source for them at first. I think basically mm-hmm. they created a studio and he was the legend at stop motion animation. So they went and sought him out, got him to come work on the project. And then since then, I believe uh, one of the main animators, I think his name is like Travis Knight. He worked uh, underneath Henry Selleck on Coraline. And now he went on to direct a couple of them. And he just directed Kubo and the Two Strings a few years ago, which was uh, in which is yeah. absolutely incredible. And like. In my, it might, it's, it's, it might be their best movie. It might be like his best film. And I haven't seen that one. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I recommend it I to everybody, okay. especially if you're into this stop motion animation in any yeah, way. Yeah, man. And Leica Studios, uh, if you're listening, definitely reach out to James Bailey here. Yeah. To bomb the what camp cam ops? Is that what you're doing right now for? Right now, I'm a digital or... digital imaging technician. So okay, so if you need one of those or yeah. anything else, he'll make sandwiches for you. Just, just get them in the. <laughs> I'll be a, the I'll be a PA. <laughs> like I honestly, like I'll reach out to you. Also, you don't have to reach out to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, be ready but for yeah, it, though. <laughs> uh, I would love to work there. Just the, uh, the we'll talk about the craftsmanship that goes into it. But hey, that bring you to Portland too, which I, you know I think would be cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this might be a good time actually to tell you about a little story about. Um, an interaction I had with Leica. So the a couple of years ago, Caitlin, as a gift, took me to the Orlando Film Festival. Your girlfriend, my sister. Yes. She yep. took me to 
the Orlando Film Festival and surprised me because they were doing a Leica demonstration there. Like they were having a, they were there to talk and do a, basically like ha- have some Leica um, related pro- things there to show off. And basically it was the, the VP, I think, of Leica came and, and basically, or some sort of marketing or somebody like that came and talked to us. It was a fairly small room that we were in. So there was only like probably 30 people in there. And, um, basically just got to ask them any questions that we wanted to. And like, they had like a lot of videos set up about their process and like what their culture is like there at Leica and the way that they work with their animators and their, you know, their, their puppeteers and the people who work working on the costumes and all that stuff. And that's really where I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is the dream here. But Mm -hmm. it was really cool. I bring it up because they, they brought a lot of the armatures and some of the some of the actual puppets and like 3D printed some of the faces because like, what they do is they use a removable face technique and it's mm-hmm. like there's magnets on it so they pop the face off in order to pop a new one on to to get that new expression oh, wow. as they as they need to so anyway and they, on Coraline they weren't 3D printing it yet on Coraline they were actually having to like manufacture each oh, each face okay gotcha. So yeah, they they passed that stuff around and we got to like like kind of set them up and move them around and feel what it was like. And they actually are pretty tough. They're like kind of tough to move because which is what you want so that they don't move on their own. So we got to we got to mess with them, take some pictures with them and and ask a lot of questions and that was a that was a great experience and and like I just some head over heels with like a, and like I recommend everything they do basically. It was right. such a cool experience. You gotta, you gotta submit that uh, CV. <laughs> yeah. Well, I gotta wait for the position. I'm always, I'm, I've looked at like a decent amount just, of times just, to just see those submitting. positions. Just yeah. Sub- submit one every month or so. Submit one for like a CG animator, and they're like, "You can do it," and I'm like, "I, I can it. I can do it." <laughs> just get me in the door. I'll do anything. Yeah. So, um, I did want to mention that uh, in Cor- we talked about it a second ago. Coraline is, from what I understand, nearly 100 percent um physically made and as time has gone on they've they've started to um use something called stop motion and and then like some forms of go motion and then also incorporate like cg and and green screen on like kubo but they're mm-hmm. still basically for the most part they're they're still building everything making everything and and it's still a huge it's still basically the same thing but they're they're just kind of taking it to the next level that's cool yeah there's a couple times where like i could tell that the background was actually a painting Mm -hmm. but i know see i don't find those things i don't find it like bad i don't think i don't i don't feel like it breaks immersion for me um because first off i don't think i would have noticed it the first time because i would be too caught up in the story it's only because i'm looking for it and then Mm -hmm. second off like i just think it's cool as someone who appreciates the way they made this film, right? Absolutely, I yeah. I mean, it, it's it, it blows my mind. Like, it's a miracle that these films were even made because of the. I have I have a ton of detail. Let's just let's let's um move into that. I guess we'll talk a little bit about how it was, we'll quickly talk about how it was made and how some of the things that in my research I found about the production of this film. So the first like kind of group of the department that I wanted to talk about is like the rigging department that I mentioned because they they're able to basically set up a series of pulleys and and like wrap around things that are connected to anything really like if they need like clothing to blow a certain way or they need something to fly through the air like a bird or some like there was a there was a moment where there's like this cloth that turns into some mice that are like floating around and uh, at the end, if you watch through the credits at the very, very end, they actually had like a little like five second clip of all of that, of it moving around and like closing and opening with all did, of this. I did see that. I, yeah. I fast forwarded because I was just like, because I, I was able to do that. <laughs> I was able to go forward and see if there was going to be anything at the end because I noticed they had like little mice hopping in and out of the frame and stuff. 
And yeah, at the very end, there is that little thing. I didn't really know what the story was behind it, though. So that was like specifically done to show off that technique or. That's what the I think that's what they were just trying to show, like the amount. I mean, did you, there's so many like there's like 100 strings that are all attached to different yeah. little parts of it in order to manipulate it within a space. And because it's like you have to get 24 sh- like pictures of movement for every second of film. So it's like they had to take twenty four pictures crazy. every every second of film. So it's, it's that's just, for the fr- that's the twenty four frames people talk about, you right? Mean? And that's just like unbelievable to me that they the the like if you sneeze and like knock some stuff over, you have to reshoot the entire scene. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, do I don't that. really know exactly how that would work, <laughs> but it just like that's the kind of uh, it's probably not going to fall over from a sneeze because you like you said it's hard, tough to move. But yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Don't bump the table. Right. <laughs> basically the, there's just i heard a um one of the like lead puppeteers kind of talk about the process of, of what goes into making a character and the time period that goes into it basically from start to finish to get their first like edition of one of the puppets takes six months so it's from development to making the armature to making the basically i think the process that she said it goes through is it starts with the it starts with a sculpt of the actual character, and then it goes to a mold department that takes that sculpt, molds it, and then from there creates the pieces that will go onto an armature, and then they have to engineer an armature that's going to move in the specific directions that they need that character. So like, Mister Mister Bobo is going to move in a different kind of way than like Coraline because of how lanky and like different yeah. his body is. So they have to engineer each and every puppet. And then uh, once they do that, it goes to the the mold goes onto the uh, armature and then it goes to the casting department. And then they they start to use the replacement faces and they have to make thousands of those in order to make every single expression through every scene and every way a mouth would move for every word. And it's just it's unbelievable. The hair has to be manipulated, the paint um, of the characters, the costumes. It's it's so much. And then not to mention all the miniatures that have to be built as sets. And yeah. all of the stuff that goes into that. I can't, I can't, that's like, it's so much work. Like, it's incredible that they're able to do it. Yeah. And basically, I just wanted to emphasize that because it's, it's that kind of attention to detail that really, I think, there's certain, there's certain groups of people that kind of go above and beyond, but this is just like, there's almost nobody doing this kind of stuff. You have to I think the director, Henry Selick, I saw in an interview basically said that you're, you're making a movie molecule by molecule is what it feels like. <laughs> Jeez. And then I guess lastly, I just wanted to talk about the armature is a technology that goes back to even like the King Kong stop motion days. So it's cool to see kind of that historical significance come all the way through to the stop motion that's being carried on today. Well, and it's kind of it's kind of retro, too. Right. Like in that 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 fun way, it's like they don't have to do it that way. They could just be another Pixar type animated film studio that has a bunch of digital arts animators come in and do that kind of stuff. But instead they chose to go this route because they appreciate there's a certain artistry to it that they wanted to preserve. And like, I love that stuff. Like I I think it's really cool when people champion something like that. Like that's why I like physical books, even though we're more and more moving away from it. I think there is something cool about having a physical artifact with a, with a texture and a smell Mm -hmm. and, and a way to interact with it and holding your hands um, that that I just appreciate. It's not the same. Like I don't like reading a book on you know ebook or, or listening to audiobooks. I definitely do, but uh, I don't know. There's just something cool about physical books, and I think that if you look at them in, as sort of a, a piece of retro, almost like throwback but cool uh, way to interact with the story, then then maybe they do have a life going forward, even as we continually move away from paper. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, it makes me think of other things that are being championed that, and it's like, it's like the survival of an art or of a, of a like, like vinyl records. It's like seeing a, seeing a film projected on actual film stock or, yeah. or seeing like a Miyazaki film that's hand drawn all, almost all the way through or something like that. And like, right. it's like that we, to, to stop making things in that way is to lose that piece of the culture. So I think it's really cool to see people carry that on. And you can make a correlation to like the push to have, uh, you know, like, what is it, like, real props versus, like, CGI in a lot of movies, like, physical sets, yeah, um, stuff like that, you know. Um, I think there is, there is something to be said for all that. Uh, it's it's kind of counter to the digital age, so it's interesting um, how those two things are going to continue to play off of one another because the better the digital age gets, there's a lot of times where you can't even tell the difference, and then, like, <laughs> then like maybe it's just a problem of like we have to get the technology good enough to where you can't tell the difference and then what does it matter i don't know yeah well people will also argue like physical like physical objects in space for actors or things like that in yeah. a film or something like that but yeah sure i think we should move into the actual coverage of the of the core line if you're ready yeah i think i'm ready i think before we do that though i wanted to shout out a podcast that i interacted with on uh, instagram um, they happened to be covering coraline at the exact same time that we are uh, we literally put out our book episode and they, I think, liked it. And I looked at theirs and they were doing the same thing. And I was like, holy shit. Uh, yeah, it's the Dragon Babies podcast. I listened to their episode. It is two sisters and they review like YA fantasy and maybe some sci-fi, um, but definitely, you know, YA. And they, they talk about it and they have fun little segments. And I don't know. I just it, I really enjoyed listening to their coverage. Um, they're going to do a shout out for us. We're shouting them out on ours. So give them a listen if that sounds cool to you. And uh, yeah, we might continue to do this going forward, you know, feature some other podcasts, especially literary podcasts that we that we come across if, uh, you know, maybe do a little exchange of uh, promos. So uh, pay attention for that just in case. But uh, yeah, Dragon Babies podcast. I think it's available on iTunes and wherever you find podcasts. Hi there. My name is Grace. My sister Madeline and I are on a mission to reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Do you look expectantly at your cat every morning, waiting for it to finally give you your hero's quest? Long for a dragon to battle or raise or keep house and cook for? Realize that a majority of your formative memories revolve around reading. If any of this resonates, you'll probably enjoy our podcast, Dragon Babies. We're obsessed with pretend food, fully realized animal characters, and wise dragons having sarcastic conversations with female protagonists. Authors we've covered include Ursula K. Le Guin, Tamara Pierce, Terry Pratchett, Diana Wynne-Jones, Garth Nix, Robin McKinley, and many more. You can find Dragon Babies on your favorite podcast app or at dragonbabiespodcast.com. So we put it up to a vote, and our next next project has been decided on by our patrons. Yeah, it's going to be All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka, if I'm saying that correctly, which I hope I am. Um, so you might know that better as Edge of Tomorrow, uh, which is like a Tom Cruise sci-fi Emily Blunt, I think, uh, movie that came out a few years ago. Um, we're going to be covering that novel, I think, over two episodes, and then we're going to cover the movie. So if you're a fan of that... Uh, definitely stick around and check it out, uh, especially if you've, if you've seen the movie but haven't read the book and you're just curious about it. Definitely give our uh, our episode a listen and we'll we'll give you a taste of it. Yeah, I've heard good things about the book, too. So I'm excited. I'm excited to get into that. And I like the movie. So yeah, looking me too. forward to it. All right. Let's get back into Coraline, though. 
All right, let's get into the meat of it here. So basically, um, I'm just going to run through some stuff and you stop me whenever there's something that you, you wanted to jump in and say. So the first thing we should talk about right off the bat is that intro sequence. And yeah. do you do you think that there's a meaning to it there? Do you think that they're yeah. giving us early, early uh, kind of inklings of what's going to go go on throughout the movie? I absolutely think there's a meaning. I mean, I think this is, this is a scene that happens, essentially. That's, that's the other right. mother making the Coraline doll that's going to go and spy on Coraline. And she's, you know, casting it up. Is she making it like 100 years ago or whatever? Like they were saying, like it's very old? I don't know. Um, now, there is. But the thing is, there's also kind of a game being played by the filmmaker because the audience doesn't know unless you maybe you've read the book. But even then, you don't know what's going on. And you think, like, right. is this actually Coraline? Because she kind of looks like a doll. <laughs> you know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like in normal, quote unquote, real life. Um so you don't know, and like you don't know what those spindly hands are. Is it just something creepy? It's being played during the credits, so you could be forgiven for thinking it's like an art, art artistic choice rather than mm-hmm. a scene that's actually occurring. Um, so yeah, there's some some games being played there, but I think by the end of the film we realize that that was the other mother because we see her have those hands, and that was her making her little spy doll, which is just cool. Like I, I don't know, it's, and and it also kind of introduces the the texture of the world. We get these close ups of her, you know, attaching hair, and it, there's a nice symmetry with that and how Leica makes their movies, right? Absolutely, yeah. I, I can't speak enough about it, but it was just it's incredible to think they were able to to basically film their process of creating a doll in some certain kind of way. So yeah. I thought that was really cool. It's a doll making a doll. Yeah, it, it, it really is. When we first see the doll come in, it's not Coraline. It's a different girl. And then it like she like takes it apart and then flips it inside out and then makes it Coraline, right. which is basically like what she she's just taking these children that she sews buttons to and then using them for life force or whatever eating them or whatever she's supposedly (laughs) doing with them and then moving on to the next one and kind of keeping them in that mirror world as spirits or whatever and there's just this like chorus of it almost sounds like children singing to the soundtrack Mm -hmm. this comes up multiple times that i found so cool like it's it's like it's creepy it's atmospheric I couldn't tell if they were actually saying real words or if it was more just like nonsense words or just sounds um, like just going la 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 la. Like, I don't know <laughs> what it right. was, but, but it's very, I, I it love it so though. Good. It's so cool. It's so I, good. I really like the soundtrack, Like I need to check that out on like Spotify or something. Hopefully it's on there. Maybe, yeah. maybe put, add it to my writing playlist because there was some cool, cool, uh, tracks on here. And that's something I was thinking about just even as the filmmaker, think about if you put as much attention to detail into every little piece that's on, on the screen think about how much in- detail you're putting it or, or at least how much focus you're putting into like having the perfect music to go with this. Because yeah. these movies aren't like normal movies. It doesn't take, you know, six months to a year to film it and then you're done. Like these are like multiple years of, of making a film. So it reminds me more of, I mean, like you're still doing it with a giant team, but the, it honestly, to me, it's reminiscent of the process of writing a novel because word choice down to every sentence, you know what I mean, can be so important. And like you're building the world and the story from the ground up, brick by brick. And mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know, I think there are writers who take shortcuts and they, you know, they maybe just borrow and, and re and, you know, repackage things. But the truly unique and interesting writers, um, and I don't mean to say like, because there are plenty of genre writers who use conventions, but I think that those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Um, I think you can still use conventions and still have like a unique, uh, voice and vision for the thing you're trying to create 
and you'll see that in the little details. And 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 I like that this movie kind of I think mirrors that. The, the the amount of confidence you have to have in the story and what the shots you want are and everything because if you have an entire scene that gets cut after it's been filmed you've just wasted everyone's time that's for true. months <laughs> and like that's like you have to be so confident in your script so confident in your shot selection you have to be storyboarded probably already shot it in the like shot examples of what you want kind of with real people probably so mm-hmm. it's 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 very uh, regimented I feel like probably but let's get back into the story the the thing I want to talk about next is Coraline kind of going off on her own and ex- doing her exploring. Which is how the book begins as well. Yeah, exploring the garden. The dousing rod that she that she gets, I yeah. feel like, is kind of a nod to some of those other things that she that she didn't necessarily have in the in the movie, but they mentioned in the book. Like, yeah, very similar um, to something she would have in the book, which I don't believe she actually had a dousing rod in the book. Right, but she she had the little stone that she could see through. Like, it feels like something like that, but it, since it was in the real world. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of, it's like, is it doing something? Is it not? Is she just doing it as a game? Like do, you know what well, I mean? Well, she it's, happens it's cool. to be standing on the well that she's looking for. And she's like, I'm still looking for this well and I can't find it. She's standing on it. So in that sense, it's like the dousing rod has led her to it. So I, I do like that. That to me is very reminiscent of the book of the, like, maybe it is like a weird magic that is actually working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that stuff. Um, that doesn't, that is the introduction of YB though, which I, mm-hmm. I think is a big thing we should talk about uh yeah why be the character how he changes the story like what what he brings to the table what maybe he he takes away like what did you, what did you think of YB? Uh, i actually really liked the addition of YB. i felt like giving Coraline somebody else to be connected to other than her parents uh was really interesting for her character mm-hmm. and it wasn't even necessarily a friend at first it was this guy who was kind of just around and she wasn't a huge fan of just because he like talked a lot or whatever but she also has a very interesting personality where it's like they're getting along and you can tell that they're friends but she doesn't really want to admit it yet mm-hmm. or something she's just kind of like you're annoying yeah. Um, which is interesting. It's kind of a kid-like thing to, to do, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something I wanted to mention with the introductions of characters and the real world at first in general. Uh, every every introduction of, of characters early on with the cat and with Wybie mm-hmm. is scary. It starts out scary. Yeah, that's and then, true. And then we find out that it's it's not quite it's what it seemed at first. And I feel like that's a good juxtaposition for the, the other world where everything starts out nice and friendly and perfect and then becomes less so. That's a great point. So it's kind of this commentary on the real world. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. Like, yeah, things might seem scary, but underneath, you know, if you have if you subscribe to a certain philosophy, the idea being that people are mostly good and that there is mostly positive things underneath. You know what I mean? I like that a mm-hmm. lot, actually. I think I didn't think about that, but I think you're right on. Because like YB's got that crazy mask on. Yeah. And he's like on his bike and he's all scary. And then he pops it off and he's like a goofy little guy and and. Uh, the cat as well. The cat is like hissing and from the bushes and she's kind of scared of it. And then it's just yeah. a little cat. So so my devil's advocate. Now, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I guess I'm kind of mixed on YB. Um, he does undercut a little bit of Coraline's triumph in the, at the end, uh, which we haven't gotten to yet. But I mean, full spoilers for the movie. Um, but yeah, at the end of the film, he comes in and sort of saves the day. Now he fucks up a little bit, and she has to kind of save him too. And and but it felt a little bit like, you know, you have to have a guy come in and save the day. And and, and you know, I I can't not call him on it a little bit. Um, I can, and I think people have rightfully gotten frustrated because if you lo- fell in love with Coraline and you love it because she's a little girl who takes on this scary thing and beats it all through her own wit and her own bravery to introduce a boy character that then comes in and saves the day at the very end and is almost 
like I, there's not a romance there, but it's kind of hinted at that he's almost like a romantic interest. Um, and 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 I don't know. Like I can see a lot of people who that rubbed the wrong way too. Well, especially book book fans. So I want to I want to I want to like give those people voice a little bit here. You know what I mean? Like I I'm kind of with you. I think mostly he was a good addition because I think he it gives Coraline a vehicle to. Uh, talk about things with and, and another person to interact with. Um, but ultimately, I can also see the other side of it, right? Uh, yeah, I can see that. I, I definitely... It could also be like, uh, I think he also might have been a character who was meant to draw uh, young boys to this movie that otherwise might not have wanted to see it, right? But if they saw in the trailer, they see this guy running around with a cool motorcycle and, and, and the outfit, and he seems interesting. I'll, maybe I will go check out this movie. Whereas otherwise it's like, oh, this is just a movie about a girl. I don't want to see it. So, which is unfortunate, but there, you know, there are a lot of kids who would think that way. So I, I, maybe it was kind of also kind of a marketing decision, which is kind of icky to think about. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't know. It, it, I definitely could see somebody related to marketing thinking something like that. But at the same time, like, I felt like he was needing to be saved more than he was saving in this movie. But I definitely understand the idea that like it kind of pulls away from Coraline. It it it, it is more um if he wasn't there, it is more, you know what I mean, it's more about her. So it I can definitely understand people thinking like feeling like it takes away from yeah. from her a and little bit. And that's that's one of the biggest changes that they make. Um they have there's one other that I definitely will talk about in a minute here, but uh that's one I wanted to give voice to because it is a pretty massive change and uh, it, it, it a lot of people are going to feel different ways about it, I think. The Ordinary name draws ordinary expectations line that they yeah. talked about where where YB's talking to Coraline about how her name is is abnormal, I guess. And and he's also got an abnormal name. And the the idea that because of like not because of that, but just addressing the fact that these crazy things happen to them and they also don't have normal names. Like what did what did you get from that? Did you? I, I don't know. I just like it. <laughs> I kind of like the idea. I don't know. Like I have. A, I mean, Luke isn't a very exciting name. Uh, you know, uh, but I like the idea, like if I ever did have a kid, I think I would consider like maybe not a crazy, like celebrity, you know, bonkers name, but something like maybe just a little unusual. I, I think there is something kind of cool. Like just like Albus Dumbledore or something. Yeah. Something kind of, yeah. I'll just name him Dumbledore. <laughs> Dum- First name Dumbledore, last name Gandalf. Yeah. And Elliot, middle name Gandalf. There we go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you know what I mean. Like, not something they're necessarily, I mean, and they might get a little bit, you, you know, you never know what kids are going to tease other kids about. But I do think there's something kind of cool about having a unique name. I think that yeah, I anything that can make you stand out in this world can be like a two sided thing, right? Like, yeah, you might get picked on for it, but it also might make you feel more unique in a world where sometimes it can be hard to feel that way. There's a shot at the end of the scene where Coraline drops the the stone into the well, and I just wanted to address this trend, this scene transition that happens. Um, she's her head is turned sideways, and the rain starts as she drops the stone, and it the background slowly fades, and the camera's tilting or rotating back up as she is as well. And as she when she stands up, she's in the kitchen looking out the window with the rain. Rather than the rain falling on her, the rain is streaking down the window. And uh, that's the kind of thing that, like, with with the proper planning, you can have just, like, awesome scene transitions like that. And I think that adds so much to a scene rather than just having, like, a, a cut, being yeah. like, this is the last thing. I, and did, I, did, I did have a note early where I said, like, if everybody keeps walking around with their necks like this, they're all going to have a lot of pain when they get older. Like, yeah. everybody's fucking neck is cricked to the side at all times, it seems like. Uh, YB is, like, constantly like that, and then Coraline does it, and then the cat does it, and then... 
at the end know. they all do it together too. <laughs> they're yeah, all doing it funny. together yeah <laughs> yeah made it made my neck hurt just looking at it i like the transition it was really cool um no, that, that was cool and, and there was a lot of that like kind of smart smart transitions and stuff mm-hmm. so let's talk about the parents because the next thing is the parents and i feel like the parents are rough in this in this movie that like, was that really was tough. uh that was my next thing that is a big change is in my opinion the parents yeah let me hear let me hear your take on it well i just felt like uh whereas she was supposed to feel ignored they like resented her it felt like in the movie like they were like wish they didn't have her a little bit which like i guess adds a little more drama to her character Well, i don't think they actually did but they they were portrayed that way like they were portrayed as as being awful like just so like neglectful of her not just like oh i'm busy hey you know you're gonna have to find your own thing to entertain yourself it was like stop annoying me caroline yeah. caroline uh, well i would like, also say it's also it was more the mom than the dad but both of them yeah. were pretty rough yeah yeah you're right it was more the mom and they soften it at the end she brings her the glove so i feel like that they were trying to display that like the parents go on a journey too and maybe even though they don't remember what happened maybe they're closer to their daughter at the end of this but um, it does change a little bit of kind of the theme of the story, right? To have sort of actual awful parents versus having a kid who maybe th- doesn't understand why their parents are the way they are. And so then it's more about like a, a, a child who needs to um, recognize some of the realities of the real world and how you can't always play with your kids and how, you know, adults have to do certain things to survive and to make it work for their family. And you have to understand that. So it's, it, there's like some good themes there for that. Whereas this movie is more like parents just don't understand. And in fact, they're all terrible. And then you have to save them. And then at the end, maybe, maybe they're not so bad. I, I don't yeah. It kind of changes the theme of it in a way. And like, I'm not, I don't know that it's terrible, but I can see some people who maybe don't like that. <laughs> I don't know if I think it's as bad. Like, I, I think that they, I think an argument could be made that it still kind of serves the same purpose, just in a more extreme way. Yeah. So I think it still kind of hits on the same stuff, but just a little more um, hard hitting stuff. Like they're kind of just, yeah, like you said. It's less subtle, right? Yeah. Right. And it felt like at some points when, when Coraline was over there uh, in the other world, like even when they were like, so the buttons on your eyes, like she may, like she may have been really tempted even more tempted to sew the buttons on her eyes in the in the movie because her parents are so awful. Well, you know, it's funny because I had a, kind of a different take, but I see what you're saying because I, I thought that she was ho- like she was 100% about this other world for a, a good part of this movie. Right. And it was only when they brought out the, I think, the buttons and she was threatened with like a needle through the eyelid or however they'd sew it on um, that she was like, oh, I don't like this at all. And like up until that point, she had been so on board with everything. Where and that is a big change too, because I felt like in the book she initially thought it was kind of cool, and then was constantly thinking like, "This is creepy. This is weird. This is unusual. I don't know how I feel about this." And then when it came down to the buttons, that was like the last straw. But in the in the, in the movie, it felt much more like she was ready to to just move into the new world, <laughs> um, up until the buttons got pulled out. You know, like because and I think they set that up because the parents are so awful and her life is so boring on the other side. Right. Um, Whereas, like, again, I think Gaiman's novella might be the more subtle version of this story, Uh, a little more, a little more nuanced. But maybe you simplify it, you know, for for the audience and for the effect you're you're going for as a film studio. So Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to give him too much shit for it. But and I, I just think that they're. 
mainly I want to say, if you enjoyed this movie, you should check out the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody's denying that the movie is incredible. So right. Yeah. No, it's still, it is. Yeah. It's just different in some ways, and I just want to. We want to highlight those differences, right? Right. Um, Got to talk about this. The tunnel shot. Um, yeah. Her crawling through the tunnel like is a, just accordions like being pulled out. It's so cool. It's I so love cool that. Effect. It's so cool. It's almost like a. It's almost like a dolly, like a dolly zoom effect without doing anything with the camera. Oh, it's yeah, like the right. this like sort of like tunnels being pulled. When you out can tell they just like... had a camera, you know, in this like uh, paper tunnel, and then they just pulled yeah. it out. And then they had lights swirling around it and stuff, right? To make they it may have also done some like some like uh, zoom out in the camera at the same time to kind of give it more of that effect. Yeah. But it looks so good, and the luminescent like light in it, like you're yeah. saying, is just like it's that's cool. super iconic for Coraline. And the buttons, that and the buttons are the things that really stand out to me for being very Coraline. Sure. Which I should also point out, they uh, they moved to Oregon in the movie. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they say it at one point. Um, I think it's like the friends in the picture say something about like Coraline from Oregon or something. And okay. uh, yeah, I think they're supposed to have moved to Oregon, which I, I just think is fun because the studio is based out of Oregon. And then um, at the end of the film, you can see some really high waterfalls coming down from these mountains. And they look so much like like uh, the Multnomah Falls or, or yeah. the, the Columbia River Gorge Falls that you see. Um, I don't know. I just think it's cool. Someone who lives in this area. <laughs> it's like a little awesome, Easter egg for, for people who also live in the area, I think. Yeah. So she uh, she does meet uh, the, uh, Bobinski. And... Yeah, Bobinski, not Bobo, um, which they did to make him seem maybe kind of Polish or something. I'm not sure. Or or European or something. Yeah, I'm not sure what he's supposed to be. Actually, I, 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 think I, I think I do know what he's supposed to be because of a Reddit comment, which I want to bring up right now while we talk about him. Uh-huh. Uh, this is by user utac242. It was posted okay. like eight days ago. So I just thought it was really, really... Uh, Hot off the presses. Hot off the Reddit presses. So it's uh, in, it's a movie detail. It's on r slash movie details. Uh-huh. And it's in Coraline 2009. The character of Mr. Bobinski has on him the medal of the chernobyl liquidators offered to the civil and military personnel who were called upon to deal with consequences of the 1986 chernobyl nuclear disaster so he's a mutant (laughs) so that medal that medal that he has on him is like is like kind of so he's russian sounds like potentially i think so i think i think that's what i got and i think that that's why he's blue Okay. Like his, he's been like irradiated or something. Something happened like that, and that's kind of like his whole thing. But so, uh, yeah, they meet those characters. We talked about it in the book episode. It's very similar. Is there any differences in the the meeting of the of the women and well, I thought the um, I thought the women were both kind of more over the top. They both they weren't as likable in the movie, in my opinion. Um, Spink and and forcible. I'm saying, um, Mm -hmm. their stuffing of their dogs (laughs) is like a is is something that I know that some people do, but I just find incredibly creepy. Um, it was kind of it was kind of funny, I guess, but it was also like as a dog lover, it just kind of creeps me out too. Um, it was funny when they were like she was like suiting one up because he was looking a little ill, so she started like I don't know, but it makes them kind of creepy too, though. Like I don't know, they're they're weird characters in the in the movie. Yeah, bit. how about the. Uh... She was like, "What should I do to to them?" And they were like, "Don't wear green in the dressing room." We got one of the three things was the same as it was in the book, yeah. which was cool. We also did you did you notice their posters were like Julius see her and uh, King Lear with King like Lear two E's. like spelled spelled like leering. 
Uh, yeah. So, like, were they, like, go-go dancers or maybe even strippers? Or, like, what were, like... Well, I mean, I we kind of see, like, the, one of their shows later on, so... Yeah, yeah. Which is also what's, bonkers. What's the name of that? There's another, there's another type of, like, show like that. Uh, burlesque. Maybe they burlesque, were burlesque yeah. dancers. They don't, they don't ever put it pointed out specifically, but that's, that's a change, right? Because in the book, they were, like... It seemed to me like they were Shakespearean actors almost, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure. So we learned that YB has never entered the Pink Palace because his grandmother's sister went missing. And the doll that he found that looks like Coraline is very old. What did you think about this change? I mean, it's all built in into YB and like having him have a backstory. Yeah. And I, which I, I think yeah. it is cool to have a neighbor whose like sister went missing and she's one of the spirits. Like, I think that's a cool way to link everything. Yeah. But I mean, like the, the neighbor could have been another girl. Yeah. Th- I mean, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I don't want to harp on that too much. But but yes, um, you're right. I, I think it is kind of a cool idea and, and it brings it keeps everything insulated and it gives it a nice uh, it gives it gives it a nice like meta story that's going on with this like old cold case almost of the grandmother's sister who went missing and ties it all into what's happening now. So yeah, I like I like that. Around here, she goes through the the tunnel again, and we get her seeing her dad and and uh, we got to talk garden. about the dad. Uh, he's apparently he's a pumpkin man in this, and um, instead of like a weird what was he like a, a slug, slug or thing? I don't something know. crazy. But he um the the scene the, I, there were two scenes. There's the there's the one of him being played by the piano, and then there's the other one of him on the mantis. Um, that I thought were both brilliantly done because they both, while sort of fun and whimsical, are 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 are, are saying something else, right? Yeah, definitely. he's being he's being controlled by the piano, not the other way around. It's not he's not playing the piano; he's being played, and that shows his relationship with the other mother, right? And then the mm-hmm. pla- the praying mantis vehicle that he takes her around in, I think you you don't pick a an insect like that up by accident, right? You know, famous for the the female praying mantis eating the male. Um, So I think there's a lot of symbolic stuff being said about, like, what is going on with this relationship. And we know, like, the hands are, like, trying to stop him from saying things sometimes. Yeah, well, that that happens later. And then you that's really, like, you know, like, that's that's shown, like, they are that they are instruments of the mother, the other mother, really. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. The garden scene is is insane and it's just like that's i felt like that was just the studio showing off almost but it's cool it's like definitely an iconic moment it's Um, it's incredible like that's like that is like that probably represents like six months if not more of just like blood sweat and tears to to just make that scene has to yeah insane now they did change how um whenever she goes to sleep in this world until later she wakes up back in in her in her own world she doesn't go back through the tunnel I mean, I guess in like in a magical sense, like anything is fair game. But part of me was like, that doesn't make sense. That's not how this works, <laughs> you know. Because like in the book, she always had to go back through the tunnel. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of that? I think it made for some. I think that it is definitely a change. But I think it made for some interesting drama when she didn't f- just teleport back. Yeah. When you know what I mean? When she wakes up that time and she's like, if I just go to sleep now, I can. It may, yeah, that was that was a cool moment. Yeah, you're right. So I think that it paid off, but I, I do think it's an interesting change. I think it, they literally changed it just to have that moment. Okay, so she goes and sees the this the mice show at this point, and 
I, that was another like I just can't believe that that is also somebody making those little m- mice are all each individually jumping and yeah like it was like a insane. big musical number which we got the same thing with the circus too right mm-hmm. which like it's interesting because this movie isn't a musical but it has that sort of Disney feel where like every now and then kind of a musical number breaks out <laughs> mm-hmm. it's fun I, I like it yeah it was cool um the cotton candy cannons and like all all that stuff like it's just it's just interesting and like the the weird like rooster or whatever that was eating corn off the cob and then like pooping out popped corn you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i forgot about that yeah i want one of those now <laughs> so bizarre uh did you, so speaking of the circus one too did you, uh, at, at one point uh, i think it's forcible says something about uh if you go swimming with bow-legged women when she's talking about the I can't remember why, but I wrote it down. So and 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 I don't know. Like that must be a famous song. I don't even know. I've never heard that before. Is that like a thing that people say? Well, that's a Jaws thing. That's something goes, that uh, Quint oh, says. Oh, gotcha. I gotcha. So, yeah. so I was like, oh shit, because we just covered Jaws a little bit ago. Right, so yeah. it, made me, it made me just think of that. I, I I'm sure it's an existing thing people people say, um, which I, it probably has a meaning that's like a little bit uh, racy sure or something. Probably, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure. It's, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it it. Uh, it was just funny because it made me think of Jaws, which we had just covered. Anyway, move on. <laughs> <laughs> so other YB is interesting in this too because he like can't talk. So like him and the father and the stuff like they they're they're pretty tragic figures because they don't get saved. They have a personality. They have they seem to have like wants and desires, but then they are just sort of destroyed in the process of destroying yeah. this world. Um, it's pretty dark, and, and and I don't know, like it's um, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's true in the book too, though. There is no other YB because YB doesn't exist, but the, it's true for the other father. Um, it's interesting. I guess it's like uh, if you're a kid, maybe you don't think about it, but like as an adult, I see them as sort of almost uh, other victims and other and like casualties of the of the other mother, the Beldum, which she is called in the in the movie as well. So the th- the thing about what you were just talking about with with other YB and other other father, wh- what do you think is it? Because she, she created them, she could have created them to where they had no autonomy. Yeah. And instead, they decided like they they is it her, their connection to Coraline or like their because they were created in the exact image of the father or of YB since they they were, you know, since they they loved or I mean I don't know if YB loves her, but do you think that that was just like inherently they were going to be trying to help her no matter what? Or what do you think that was? I think there's two things you could look at. Yeah, like one could be that there, she's making them to be like a existing person and in crafting them in their image, some of that carries over. So some of the original YB, some of the original father is in that character that she's made or that thing. And so that maybe can explain it. And then also I think we talked about the the philosophy of everybody's inherently good. You could also see that like, you know, maybe the Beldum is one of the few like true evil creatures or people in this world. But her, when she, even the things she creates end up coming out good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like that would just further be in line with that philosophy, which maybe this movie has. I don't know. Yeah, I like like the idea that anything has the capacity for good, even if it's been done evil things before or something as well. Right. Something crazy we got to mention here is I did not remember this this wild burlesque show that <laughs> Spink and Enforceable put on. Yeah. And it's bonkers for a kids for a kids movie. Yeah. Or wa- it's, younger. <laughs> it's definitely a little a uh, little more risque than I was expecting it to be. That's for sure. Yeah. 
it was i mean i guess it was like it was like objectively funny but it, it was a pretty pretty weird scene and uh and like they're intertwined we'll get to it in a second but when they're intertwined as like the taffy yeah that's pretty wild too. well but like it wasn't as dark as the book the the book was darker for that part yeah. um they were like this weird like almost like uh they'd been like uh cocooned together and were like one creature that was like in a chrysalis and they took that and they made it into a candy wrapper and they made, kind of lightened it a little bit. It was still like there, but um, it wasn't quite as dark because that was, I felt a very dark passage from the book or just at least a very creepy one. Similar thing with the, with the father and, and they kind of took his scene about when he's blind in the book and chasing after her, they took that and they did it with the Beldum instead. Um, so that scene is still there. Um, and I kind of think that's a smart addition because, like, honestly, the Beldum is the creep, the main creepy thing in this story. So give it to her. I, I, I can see why they did the change. But in general, yeah, like that 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 made it to where the father scene. I don't know. I mean, it was pretty creepy still because he was like saying how he didn't want to hurt her, but like the machine was making him through, the, you know, because the mother was making him. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool too, though. Yeah. Out in the garden. Let's let's get caught up to that real quick. It's it's only a couple couple of scenes. Uh, the other mother says that if you want to stay here, you have to sew these buttons. You have to sew these buttons on your eye. And this is when Coraline kind of snaps and is like snaps out of it. Some, she like runs away and runs to her bedroom and and tries to sleep it off. And when she wakes up, it, she's still caught there. And she tries to go to the door to get to to leave, and it's locked. And that's when the other mother like transforms into her like l- more like spider like form. Yeah, they really leaned into the spider thing for the for, mm-hmm. for the movie, especially. I mean, there was hints at it in the book too. But it's like she's a straight up spider. <laughs> yeah, there's um, some cool. It makes for some cool, cool like the the spider web thing at the end. Yeah, and she it's becomes like more and more spider like as it goes on. Uh, and then she's thrown into the the mirror and she speaks with these old spirits and mm-hmm. uh, basically just says that she's gonna try to she's gonna try to help help them. And uh, doesn't doesn't YB drag her out of the mirror? Like other YB drag her out of the mirror, I think. And then like oh yeah, to get, and they, he's had his he's had his smile put on his face very dark very dark that's yeah. very like joker or something like let's put a smile on that face of yours you know like yeah he's like she cuts up. it out which is cool she's able to like cut the, the yeah string to, to let him loose yeah i can see this movie being kind of dark for some kids too though some of that yeah. stuff's like like body horror right like the idea of having definitely. your face sewn and well, stuff. Like I that. mean, even like the beginning where it's cutting open a doll and pulling the stuffing out and yeah. stuffing it and stitching it and all that is like very like, I feel like that's kind of some intense stuff for, for a kid to see, even though it's like, it's suggesting things, but it's it's just a doll. Yeah. I like it though. I, I don't know. I'm some I'm someone who grew up on like rated R movies. <laughs> um, I was not sort of sheltered from that stuff as a kid. I'm not saying that that's the way it necessarily should be. I just think like kids are, more resilient than we give them you know we give them credit for and and like as someone who loved scary stories when i was young you know what i mean like i sought this stuff out so it's like yeah i don't know i think it's okay i think it's okay for a kid i don't know at what age but <laughs> i'll leave that up to you parent <laughs> now you know i feel it's okay so <laughs> that's yeah. what you've been waiting to hear <laughs> i want you to know that when you raise your kids it's okay i say it's okay <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the Nightmare Before Christmas was big for me, and like just weird, dark stuff that that I don't know that like my parents necessarily knew exactly what I was watching sometimes. And you know, I, I saw I, like I, like you said, I watched. I, I wasn't like necessarily allowed to watch rated R movies very early on, but I saw I saw them anyway. So <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, she makes a deal with with Beldum after she walks out into the forest, and basically everything ends, and it, she yeah, leaves back that was a the cool house. scene, and I felt like that was a scene that was like when when the whoever decided to make this movie, like they must have been thinking of that scene, right? Because it was made for this sort of thing to have mm-hmm. an art that can like start peel like just start peeling away and 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 coming apart, and uh, and then you could just be left with this white space. I don't know. It just really lent itself to this animation style. It was a cool scene. I think so, too. It was awesome. And I liked seeing the actual... The trees were, like, be- becoming less tree-like and more, yeah. the, like, an idea of tree. I love seeing that, like, yeah. on screen. Which is really something... Cool. After reading the book. Yeah. After that walk around and she comes back to the house, uh, she, the cat convinces her to, to play a game to win back the spirits and her parents. And everything starts crumbling around the house. So the only thing that's left is the house at this point. Yeah. And even inside the house, things are crumbling apart. Yeah. Um, I like the way the the walls were like peeling up, like paint. Oh, Uh, yeah. Really cool. Actually, did she, I think she went to go get the spirits first, right? Because she she had to be at the other places. She had to go to the other. Every time she got a spirit, it made that area kind of fall apart. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, she, that's kind of what it was. She did all of that. Yeah. We. I feel like we talked about the 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 getting of the spirits already. She, oh yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah. The yeah we've we've been the, jumping around a little bit. Yeah. I'm not too worried about it. The third one. The third one though, we haven't talked about the third stone, okay. which was it's Bobinski, right? Bobinski was the last. The one. ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob. The bit that was pretty cool when Bobinski. It was just the rats inside the yeah, suit. Yeah, he turns into the rat, which is something from the book. He's like a, he's mm-hmm. like a rat filled suit. Yeah, um, that was cool. And yeah. like the way that she like lost the ball, like after she threw her little stone at it and like the mouse dodged it and the ball went out and then yeah, the cat and the ended cat up gets with it the, right yeah. out of the book, bites the head off the the, mile, the mouse. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. The cat was cool, by the way. The cat, the cat, uh, I liked his sort of attitude. It was fun. Just like in the book, you know, he's mm-hmm. like sarcastic and kind of, kind of dry, but, but uh, made for some good banter. So the house is all falling apart and she, she's in there. And uh, she's the only thing she hasn't done is found her parents. So she she uh, has to end. She ends up tricking the Beldum just like she did in in the book, where she says, "What's through the door? I think my parents are through the door." She opens the door and then grabs grabs this the snow globe that she finds out that her parents are in, and yeah, uh, throws the cat, the cat. <laughs> yeah. projectile cat attack. Yeah, yeah. It worked to- out better in the in the movie than it did in the book for the cat because the cat didn't get hurt. Okay. I also want to say that, um, and I don't know if this is if this is true, but just for me personally, this scene reminded me so much of. Do you know what I'm going to say? Um, no, I don't know what you're going to say. Uh, Ripley versus the Xenomorph Queen at the end of Aliens. Okay, yeah, I see. Can it. you see it? Because yeah, she had it. a certain Xenomorph look to her, with like her elongated head and her like spindly arms, and then mm-hmm. the way um, she's trying to get to the door while being pulled down. Literally, yeah. I'm talking about the false ending where at the end where she's fighting the mother, like the mother queen, whatever alien is yeah. trying to pull her out the airlock and she has right. to like struggle her way up out of it and close the door. It reminded mm-hmm. me so much of that. And I don't know if there was any sort of homage or just like an accidental, like the scenes happen to be kind of similar. But uh, oh, yeah, I thought it was very reminiscent. Cool. Yeah, I totally see that. I, I bet you it was. Uh, I, I bet you it was kind of like an homage or like a reference to it because it's like. It, it just like I, if I make a movie, I'm gonna put some alien references in it. So <laughs> yeah, I don't blame not? them. <laughs> if she had had another little mouth pop out and snap in the air, then we would have known for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
so she she makes it out with the help of the spirits and her she has her parents back and she goes to sleep that night really happy because her mom got her the the mittens and everything and she she has a dream and the the spirits tell her that it's not quite over yet and then she yeah she she goes out to the woods with the key and doesn't really have as much of a plan this time as much as she's just trying to get rid of the key um and when she goes to drop it in the 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 hand attacks her and uh yb shows up kind of saves the day a little bit but they well then in so doing kind of, he almost gets killed and then she yeah he almost him, falls but, down the well but he does save she, the day because without him the hand would have just got her yeah it seemed like they like crush it with a rock too which was kind of cool yeah they crush it with a rock tied it up in a bag the hand the rock were tied up in a bag with the key on top of it dropped into the well which uh should be the end of the beldum it's a little different than the book. She has like a tea party in the book that she then uses to to like fool the hand into jumping out and she leaves the key at the center of this thing and it lands on it and it falls into the well. So like I was saying earlier, it, it is a change to have her need help and need rescuing at the yeah. very end. Whereas in the book, she comes up with a plan, executes the plan, the plan works, <laughs> right. you know? Uh, so it's another moment of Coraline like kind of doing some, doing some cool shit, so... Yeah, yeah, just want to point that out. It is a, it is a change, and and how that sits with you will just be up to you. You know. Yeah. So I mean, the very end, just to touch on it, is they're they're back at home, and YB brings his grandma over, and Coraline wants to talk to her about everything that happened, basically to tell her that she freed yeah. her sister. Yeah, and there's they have a, they're having a little garden party at the end, and I like it mm. because it show it's like they're bringing color to the world that otherwise, up until now, the real world has not had as much color, has not been very inviting. And through this, like, tulip, planting the tulips or whatever they're doing, um, Coraline has, like, took the impetus to make everybody kind of get to know each other. They've, you know, it seems like everybody's, like, more friendly now. And they're adding color to the world through the gardening, which is interesting, too, because they're planting stuff, whereas, like, all along uh, it's been about compost and decay, uh, which is, like, kind of gross and, like, the opposite of, you know, like, inviting. And so, like... To shift it and have it be more about growing and have it be more about color, um, I I don't know. I guess I think they're trying to make you feel a certain way in doing that, right? Like feel like more positive, like things are on the right path. And I mean, I like the idea that like there's there's going to be uh, the, t- as a lesson for kids, and I think we talked about this in the maybe in the book as well, but just the idea of peaks and valleys in life. So it's like, yeah. it, you might be going through a rough time with your family. Everything might seem bleak and gray, like the world looked to Coraline. Um, but there's a good chance that, that everything's going to eventually kind of have an uptick and an upturn and, and like you can spread color in the world and make friends. Yeah. And and I think that's the key. You can, you can bring it, like you can make color, you can bring color to the world and you can, if everything seems bleak, like you can take an active role in changing that. It doesn't have to be something that you are just passively affected by. So yeah, I think there is like a nice, that I, I will give the, the movie props for that because that is a nice theme. And I definitely think the movie's saying that. So, um, where maybe certain themes are are less emphasized in the in the in the movie, that one is is present. So, I mean, that's the end of the of the uh, actual plot. There is there anything else you wanted to mention? So, I want to talk to you about. I want to do a quick rundown of like characters uh, from book versus movie. Like, which ones did we like better? But I think we should save that to the very end. Okay, that sounds good. So yeah, we'd like to thank uh, one of our patrons, Remy uh, N. He he is one of the people who voted for Coraline. And hopefully you enjoyed this coverage. And yeah, just thank you for being a patron. If you want to learn more about how to become a patron and what we're offering, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film.
Also, if you want to get in contact with Ink to Film in any way, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. And we're active on there, so anything you send our way, we will see. And also, if you want to send any sort of feedback on the episode, you can send that to inktofilm at gmail.com. Yeah, and we'd love to see it. We love hearing from our listeners. Um, and if you are willing to support us in a way that doesn't involve any money at all, we are at 41 as of recording this reviews, and I'm really hoping to get to 50. Uh, that's just like a, a little goal I set a while ago. Um, so yeah, if you can leave us a rating and a review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it. We'd like to thank Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, man. So let's go through them. Let's start with like minor characters and then work our way up towards major. Uh, let's 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 look at the. How about Spink and Forcible? Uh, did you did you like movie version or book version better? I'm gonna have to say movie, but I I do enjoy the 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 book version. I like movie just because they kind of lean into like being. I wish that they weren't burlesque dancers. I wish they were more straight, dramatic actors. Yeah. Um, but I liked the 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 dog related. They went. They lean more into like the dog's potentially theory of being dead, and yeah. also there was some. There like, was definitely some humor with like uh, the way they kind of were like teasing each other about their eyesight yeah. and all that stuff. Um, it was but cool. I, I, I think them. ultimately, for the reason of the of the the change, the subtle change in the characters, I think I like book version better. Yep. All right. Uh, what about uh, Mr. Bobo slash Bobinski? Oh, it's tough. I don't know. I I think I'm gonna have to say movie again. Uh, I just really enjoy. It. I and I do I do think that uh, you talked about it earlier. Just the idea, like I like how they made these characters like proportionately weird and just like I think that that all that stuff's cool because it it really stylizes this this project. Well, I am going to once again to say the book because uh, I found him to be a little bit too much at times. And he was the one thing that like even more so than the other two was like, this is not the real world. This is a cartoon mm-hmm. character with the way he would move through space and hopping down and like jump from like the roof to the ground and the way his like the shape of him. I don't know. Like just for me personally, I think I like the book version better. Cool. All right. Next up, let's do. Uh, let's let's talk about. Let's talk about the parents. You know, wh- what did you feel about the parents in, in this versus the versus the book? I mean, for me, book parents because it's just. I think they went a little rough on Coraline in the in the movie, and it, it uh, it's kind of like unsettling, not unsettling, but off putting. Yeah. Uh, it kind of just put me off to the parents, and they seem they seem like they actually care about her in the in the book, and in the movie, it's less so. Agreed. Uh, what about the Beldum herself? What did you think oh, of Beldum? Wow. Beldum. I mean, she, I'm good in both I'm, versions, right? Yeah, good in both versions for sure. I'm going movie again because I think that depiction of her is just so spot on. And like having her look like the mom with the button eyes and seeing that and then uh, the transition slowly into more of a spider-like creature, um, I, I think I think movie. I'm with you, man. I think I got to go movie on this one. Uh, I think her... She was awesome. She's one of the, one of the coolest things about this. The way she actually transforms there's a scene where she actually elongates in front of her eyes and turns scary Ooh, such a cool scene like so <laughs> like, good love it and uh yeah i think i think she was perfect she was she was she was scary she she dominated the screen i also love that she's kind of incognito because you don't know that it's all the mother um that's true in the book too and then all of a sudden you're like oh you realize that it's all about the mother right um yeah cool cool and i, I definitely got to give props to the movie version uh before we get to Coraline, let's do the cat real quick uh, we're not going to do YB because he's not in the book. <laughs> uh, what do you think about cat, cat, in, in book versus movie? I think I think cat is a wash for me. I think it's both. I don't think that I like one more than the other. Really, um, yeah, I don't know. I can't really go any either way on it. 
You know, I think I'm with you. Uh, you know what? Just so that we, I don't, just so we don't go the same way. I'm going to say book. I think, okay. I think he had a little, he had maybe some more lines. It seemed like in the book. And, and I think he, his relationship with her, for whatever reason, I found to be slightly more interesting in the book. I don't know. It's just kind of a gut reaction. All right. Okay. Now we're on to the main event, though. Last one. Coraline herself. Coraline in the book versus Coraline in the movie. What did you think? Okay. So as much as I love Coraline in the movie, I'm going book because I just think YB took a little bit away from her uh, to make her a little less, what's the word? Like... A little less um, her own person, like a little right, less yeah, her yeah. own hero, her own... Self-driven, like, self... Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm with you. Um, I also think the book version of Coraline feels more like a real person. And, you know, that's a different in, in art form and, in, in, you know, between book and movie. Um, I get that. But, uh, yeah, like, I li- and I like Coraline in the movie. I do. Don't get yeah, me wrong. I mean, I want to shout out the fact that, like, they gave her, like, great mannerisms and, like, she was yeah. she was believable as, like, a living... To me, like, I, I see what you're saying. Like, you're saying, like, you, you like in the book, she's real world. Like, in the, in the like book, she's, a, like, a real girl, right. which is funny because obviously she's not, but I felt that way. Right. Um, and, 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 and that's the intimacy of reading a book, right? Mm-hmm. But I loved, I just loved the way that they they pulled off Coraline and she's she's a great um, main character. I, I love her. So Yeah. Overall, love, love, the, love the movie, love the book. I think both are good in different ways. Um, you know, I'm not going to argue with somebody who, who has strong feelings about one versus the other. But uh, for me, I liked both for different reasons. All right. And that's going to be it. Like we announced earlier, we are going to be doing Edge of Tomorrow uh, well, All You Need Is Kill is the name of the book, and we're going to be starting with that next week, so we hope you join us for that. Um, if that's not your thing, we have covered some other ch- uh, children's fantasies, like House Moving Castle, Where the Wild Things Are, probably another one I'm forgetting. Uh, oh, uh, Wrinkle in Time. Uh, it's like sci-fantasy, whatever. Um, yeah, so you could check those out if, if that's not your thing, but definitely make sure to subscribe, and that way you can keep up with uh, with all our new projects. Definitely. I mean, we'll do, we're will do. we going to do more way in the future. We're going to do... We, we're going to hit everything, so... All right. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Until next time, I'm Luke. And I'm James. Bye.